welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potzagire, your host, an artist and educator. you so much for listening and for sticking with me through a somewhat inconsistent release schedule. I've been advocating rest and giving yourself the grace to take on less or focus on your studio practice, but I'm also working on modeling that. This February, I've been participating in the Artist Mother Art Residency and devoting more time to my studio practice including more reading and research to help me bring to life a long percolating idea. While I've shifted my focus, I've let some other things slip a little bit, including this show. So thank you for patiently waiting for new episodes as I slow down. And I hope this bit of transparency and modeling can inspire you to also let some things slip and slow down a bit. This conversation that I'm sharing today is a great one with Abhishek Panchal all the way across the world in Mumbai, India. It was so great to reconnect with Abhishek and hear more about his art and teaching practices. He participated in one of our artist talk sessions through the Teaching Artist Lounge last summer, and I was so inspired by the way he wove teaching and art making together in that brief talk that I wanted to hear more. He shared wonderful advice for working with students of all abilities and adjusting his own expectations as a teacher, especially during the constantly shifting situations as a result of the pandemic. We got into what student-centered teaching can look like. He also talked about his inspiration as an artist and the project he's currently working on surrounding men and mental health in India. Mumbai-based artist and educator Abhishek Panchal has been associated with the arts for more than a decade. Depending on the role, be it artist, teacher, researcher, or administrator, he uses a combination of creativity, information, research, and persuasion to achieve personal and professional results. Abhishek received an MA in art education from Boston University. His scholarly interests are grounded in critical and culturally responsive pedagogy with research interest in arts integration, indigenous curriculum, art for special educational needs, and place-based education. As a visual artist, his artistic practice is inclined at investigating themes and issues of mental health, culture, and gender within the local and global context. Currently, he serves as the arts program coordinator and teacher at the Gateway School of Mumbai, a not-for-profit school committed to empowering children with disabilities. Based on the critical strategies of visual art, his teaching focuses on exploratory and inquiry-based art-making processes in studio and design courses. Abhishek has been a conference speaker and has taught workshops at festivals, galleries, and museums in India and Brazil. 
the Tata Education and Development Trust, and the Keshavlal Bodani Education Foundation are the granting organizations that supported his academic and cultural work. Let's hear from Abhishek. I am talking with Abhishek today, Abhishek Panchal, and I'm excited to hear about your experience both teaching and making art. And I got to hear just a very little bit because you participated in one of our artist talks through the Teaching Artist Lounge. So that was really great to see some of your work and also your students' work. And I really liked how you kind of wove them together and talked about both. So yeah, I'm excited to hear more and get to know you a little bit better. I always like to start with your journey and what brought you to where you are now, how you became an artist and a teacher. So maybe we could start there. Perfect. So first of all, hi, Rebecca, and thank you so much for uh, having me on the podcast. It's a privilege to be speaking on a podcast and talking about my work and also learn from you while we have this conversation. Absolutely. I'm happy to have you here. Perfect. So like I say, I always have been good at art, you know, something that was very intrinsic to growing up. My parents always encouraged my art practice since I was a kid. And then when I moved to high school and then college, and when I became an adult, one thing I wasn't sure about is how I could make a career out of it. Teaching mm -hmm. was very distant to it. You know, even just building a practice in visual arts, making art and making a living out of it is something that I mm -hmm. never imagined from the culture that I come from. Right. But uh, I have been making art for almost 23 years now since I was a child. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember in one of the blogs that I wrote a couple of years ago, I had to think about where did my journey start? And there's something, an interesting anecdote that I always mention, where did it start? When I was in grade five, my teacher asked me to draw uh, draw something in the art class. And I remember trying to make something and it turned out to be a fish. And that's the first thing, that, that's the anecdote I write as the opening paragraph of that blog, that I was trying to draw a human face that turned into a fish. And my teacher was very instrumental in encouraging that, yes, my human might look like a fish. And I think that was very, that's something that stayed with me forever. You know, my teacher encouraging and not completely putting me down as a kid. Mm. And I believe that, you know, that, that actually helped me to grow as a, as a student artist later, you know, to see my art in a different way and to believe what I was doing. So how did I become a teacher? I think in 2011, I was teaching a summer workshop. I had just passed out of college and I used to do like some sessions at home with a few kids. And someone encouraged me to do this six-day workshop, conduct a six-day workshop in Bombay for teenagers and I conducted that workshop and I realized I was actually good at teaching and after that an opportunity followed where I got to work with the British Council which is a non-profit organization in the UK and they were doing a drawing festival in Bombay and that was my first formal opportunity or I would say taking an experience of what it feels like to teach art you know mm -hmm. and I've been teaching for almost a decade now uh, so I currently actively make art I also teach full-time at a school and I love doing it. That's beautiful. I loved hearing about that catalyst at the beginning when you were still a child and how the teacher encouraging you meant so much. And I know it was several years later that you really started teaching, but I wonder whether that experience kind of like stuck in your head and maybe pushed you towards being that person for other young people. Absolutely. I think that one teacher played a huge role 
in believing in me and it's so important for us mm-hmm. to believe in the students that we work with right and i didn't realize it until the later part of my life when i actually got into a classroom and i engaged myself in teaching at how instrumental the teacher's attitude or her approach in that one class could have such a big impression on my entire life or as my my life as an artist or for that matter my decision of becoming a teacher mhm yeah and so you led some workshops you worked with the british council and then how did you end up teaching at the school where you are now i was completing my teaching assignment with the british council where a friend of mine who also happens to be an art educator was hiring for the school that i work with it's a school that serves the special needs population mm-hmm. and she invited me to observe the students at her school and observe the teaching practices at the school and i did realize i loved the experience that i had at the school when i visited the school i was really admired the work that my friend was doing and i think it was utterly a coincidence where she was leaving the school to pursue her higher studies and she asked me would you be interested to take on her role uh, her job and i remember in my first uh, response to her i said yes because i was so inspired by the work that the school was doing the kind of practices they were bringing from across the globe i decided i want to learn i want to learn how to become an art educator i want to be in a classroom full time and uh, expand the scope of my work and that's how i started with the school i'm almost going to finish my 6 years with the school now Mm, amazing. That's incredible. And I see that you also got your degree in art education from Boston University. Were you going to school while teaching or did you kind of go like you finished up with the British Council and then went to school and came back to the school where you are now? So I actually pursued the degree while I was engaged in teaching and mm-hmm. uh, in fact That's I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I graduated this year in May. So Oh, congrats. Thank you so much. I actually decided to study while I was teaching is because in my second year of teaching at the school I did realize I need to have a formal teaching degree in the arts that would aid the, all the practices or all the research that I was developing at the school and mm-hmm. it needed some kind of structure to it. So the decision of also studying while I was working because I always put it in this way that I had the context of my practice I had an organization I was attached to only thing that needed to go with it was a formal education you know some kind of support with what kind of practices are happening across the world and I think mm-hmm. the education part the two years of my degree at Boston brought that perspective to the table for me while I was engaged in research and also studying with my peers from across the world Yeah, giving that pedagogy, that background, did it change your teaching practice at all? I I think it changed my teaching practice 360 degrees, I would mm-hmm. say. More than the teaching practice, I think it gave me a way of looking at art education, a completely fresh perspective into looking at my practice. I think mostly what it did was it it helps me now to filter out a lot of stuff. and make my teaching more contextual and more relevant to the population that i am working with mm-hmm. at the same time it also helps me to bring in a lot of what the masters actually did was it gave me a new way of bringing in research into my practice you know mm-hmm. somewhere or the other that is something that was missing in my teaching and i think that is something that is really been beneficial for me and especially i was studying a part of my degree during the pandemic so mm-hmm. i feel like during the pandemic has been like a huge 
transition for all art educators i would say across the world yeah. so <laughs> studying at the same time of crucial juncture at our teaching practices you know where things were not going to be the same and i foresaw that when i was studying so mm-hmm. having the privilege of interacting with my peers and my classmates at the same time from across the world gave me the platform of understanding how are they tackling with this contemporary issue of art education you know where covid mm-hmm. is completely going to change how we are going to teach art or the medium which we are we are teaching our existing issues are also going to amplify because of covid mm-hmm. so i think that was very much interesting to experience in the last two years yeah and i know here in the states at least a lot of schools like even our our local schools here in california we were pretty shut down but for students with some more severe special needs a lot of them were brought back into the classroom to receive services i'm curious how that sort of thing like how was that handled and what, did that affect your school and your teaching um, because your school is specifically focused for students that might have additional needs oh that's a great question actually i think it's more or less the situation has been the same thing but the students at my school have not been brought back physically to school i mean not until recently uh, till the situation was safe enough for them to come back to face to face learning but mm-hmm. during the pandemic i would honestly tell you rebecca it was a big loss for this population mm-hmm. i would say because yeah. uh, students with needs depend so much on the other services like therapies or other interventions that support as in the art class right mm-hmm. and not having access to those services i think was a catalyst for learning loss i would say for them in many ways mm-hmm. and it's also something that has stopped it is it's becoming a barrier in their development i would say when you see a trajectory for a student in a school academic year it's been a big barrier for them not having access to mm-hmm. these services which in turn support them in the other classes like for example not having access to a para professional with them while they were isolated in their homes during the pandemic so that impacted their learning in in a lot of ways but fortunately uh, in my case i think because we are a so small school of 90 kids mm-hmm. the parents because the parents were also at home isolated quarantining or you know because of the lockdowns the parents one of the parents used to be around to support the kids and as a school we did request the parents to be around and support us so the child can have full ex- access to not just art education but the other subjects as well mm-hmm. yeah it's such such a tricky thing when they're you know i'm sure the parents are also like as a parent myself trying to work and juggle even with a student a child who who didn't necessarily need any additional help or therapies or you know any sort of additional services it was still really hard to be there and help her while also trying to work so i i imagine the parents that you have been working with were also finding that pretty difficult but i see the just huge challenges all around absolutely absolutely i think at the challenges for the parents were i think twofold compared to teachers because i'm not undermining the challenges that we had i mean the teachers had their own set of challenges in terms mm-hmm. of transferring the curriculums online the assessment patterns change our workload change you know people teachers mm-hmm. were working beyond their working hours and also at the same mm-hmm. time trying to keep a balance of their mental health their families or you know the other things that need their attention but i can only understand the parents and if you're a working professional i think it's much difficult to support your child and in the necessity of the situation in how do you actually support your child now you being the first 
person next to them you know the teacher is online the teacher can give you resources the teacher can teach you but you are the person who you know the child has access to in terms of difficulties you know to be able mm-hmm. to comprehend content or to do an activity that they're expected to do yeah yeah i feel like it gave me sort of a little like boot camp in teaching <laughs> because um, <laughs> i i got to see how the other subjects besides art were being taught and you know she was only in kindergarten so it was it wasn't like really advanced content but just seeing the way it was shared with the students was really interesting and then i know we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how the pandemic has been affecting you recently so maybe i'll let you share like going back to in person coming back to online how that's been going and kind of what has happened with that so i i think speaking in terms of art education mm-hmm. when we were working online there was a lot of curriculum changes core curriculum changes that we had to do because mm-hmm. i think one standard problem that i would that when i have spoken to art educators at least here in mumbai and in india has been access to materials that was the biggest issue with students and mm-hmm. i think art is a subject where i would say having a teacher next to you in a classroom versus a teacher being across the internet on the other side of the computer makes a huge difference because you need mm-hmm. those social interactions in the classroom you need the face to face engagement with your teacher and your peers while you are you are engaged into the creative process of making a work a piece of art mm-hmm. right so all those small aspects that go into a visual art studio were completely i think lost in translation you know while you're teaching mm-hmm. online so i think to compensate that my biggest struggle in the first few months of the pandemic where i literally saw myself failing as an art educator and i'll be very honest about it is no one had existing research right where would you go for resources because mm-hmm. it's it's like a situation where everyone is in the same storm but you might be in different ships at that point of time you know some mm-hmm. have the privilege of you know calling their students back or you know supporting with excess material there are schools which you know do not have any material or resources or you know they are they are battling with some other issues if some, some economic issues you know constraints to provide material while there were some mm-hmm. schools in india where i spoke fellow educators and they said that they they created packages of art material for the entire year and they were sent to the kids they were they were po- sent by the post to the kids so the kids can have access to the art material yeah specifically wow. talking in my case i think a lot of my children because they have different needs in a certain group the children are uh, having different needs it was very difficult for me to map what kind of online curriculum would actually be fruitful if i'm trying to teach mm-hmm. online considering all the other variables that are going to impact internet stability access to material so i think uh, it took a, it took me at least first 6 months to just figure out what would work and when i and i actually figured out what could work the next challenge was how to assess their work now you know mm-hmm. given given that they are having some kind of support from their parents or some children are taking more time than the others because you cannot fit the uh, artwork you cannot fit it in the one hour of class or two hours of class that they are having during the day so mm-hmm. that was other challenges other uh, other than access to material and access to the curriculum the other challenges were a lot of kids were going through their own emotional journeys during the pandemic of making peace with the personal losses in the family or a parent mm-hmm. falling sick or the child falling sick 
so mm-hmm. considering all those aspects also became very important after a certain point and you know just stepping back again once i had figured out everything and say you know what i don't have to be so harsh or hold myself to my maximum potential right now it's okay to fail we everyone is still trying to figure out everything all other teachers art educators are also trying to figure out stuff and you know maybe conversations with them and connecting with them reaching out to the community will actually help so last year in september when there was some amount of normalcy that set in and school started opening up of course we got back to face to face school and we assumed that now school is going to be face to face for the rest of the academic year and then i started redoing my art studio you know checking in my inventory ordering materials and we were very excited i saw a big shift in how happy and how excited the kids were to get back to school and now they get to engage with their art curriculum in the studio while getting the social aspect of the art studio you know interaction with their peers and teachers mm-hmm. showcasing their work to their te- other teachers and suddenly after the christmas break we got a noticing school is again moving back to online because of of course the omicron variant was a big variable over there and you know mm-hmm. the cases shot up so it's been like a roller coaster ride if i have to explain you you know it's literally mm-hmm. like even while talking to you right now i just finished the first week after the christmas break and i'm still on the roller coaster <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to figure out what's going to come my way the next week and the next month you know until i finish the next academic year oh yeah i think roller coaster is definitely <laughs> the way to describe <laughs> it but i loved what there was one thing you said in there like it's okay to fail and admitting that for yourself and just sort of letting letting yourself realize you know we are all going through a lot right now and so you said it's okay to fail and then you kind of followed up with saying conversation and connection with the students with their families with your community like that has been really important that's been very instrumental rebecca you know one mm-hmm. thing that was if you if you ask me what was my biggest takeaway as an art educator i think i see the positive side of the whole uh, i have been trying to jot down for my own sanity you know what are the good things mm-hmm. that came out in the last two years i have built some amazing rapport with parents because mm-hmm. now while the child comes to the school and does their art class in the school school is a completely different dynamics versus when the child is sitting in their homes and you know the parent is maybe doing their own work in the same room or in the same house or the child the parent sitting next to the child and supporting them in the art class the parents actually got to see what is the visual art class at my school first hand what's happening mm-hmm. how is the curriculum taught you know what is that child where are what are the breakdowns that their child has you know mm-hmm. what are the studio practices that the child is learning or how is the content being broken down so it in some or the other way it's it's set this very strange and a good rapport with the parents now you know the i have had parents who have reached out and they said okay they they really wish that art was taught to them like that in, when they were students back in school you know mm. and for me that was a big compliment because as art educators you always want the end product or you know what the students are making those are your you know parameters to gauge whether your content is working or whether what you're trying to do is actually getting you results but i noticed maybe during the pandemic while i'm stepping back and observing what's happening it's also worth seeing what are the human connections telling me even if a child says something you know they had an absolutely amazing class on that day and they enjoyed the experience of just just sitting there for that one hour and engaging with their piece whatever they were working on you know that itself is a big feedback that art educators can be very conscious about and can take in at this point of time i feel 
Yes, absolutely. I love that as almost like reframing the way we assess our teaching and student learning. What are those human connections telling you? That's beautiful. And I had similar experiences when I was sort of sending these videos out into what felt like the void. Just, you know, I wasn't even having like very many Zoom classes. It was mostly just make a video, send it, and hopefully, you know, my pacing is okay. And hopefully they're getting the content I'm trying to share. And I kind of had no idea until I would get an email from a parent being like, oh, we loved it. We did it as a family together. So yeah, that was, there were some beautiful connections. I'm actually happy to hear that because it feels like you're experiencing the same thing in the same time that we are going through. And it's actually very happy to hear. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I feel like that's huge. Something that happens a lot when I'm talking with other art educators and part of why I even started this podcast was you know, not feeling like we're alone. We're in our little art classroom islands all alone, trying to figure out what we're doing and just talking to each other is really helpful. Absolutely. So yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that too. I would love before maybe we get into your own artwork, I would love to, if you have any sort of tips or advice for art teachers, especially around working with students who do have additional needs, if you have any advice there. Definitely. So without getting too technical about the question, I think my <laughs> most generic advice for if you're going to teach or if you're going to engage with students who have any kind of uh, learning disability would be to look at the curriculum from the child perspective. You know, mm-hmm. I, I look at the whole curriculum, if you can visualize these concentric circles where the child is at the center and the next circle is you as an art educator. Then the circle after that is your curriculum. The circle after that is your support system, your other paraprofessionals, your homeroom teachers, your other stakeholders in the school. And the, the most outer circle is your assessment. So I look at it personally, my own practice in that way. Now, when I say putting the child at the center, it means that whatever you teach, if you have a very simple perspective of designing your lesson or designing your curriculum, keeping in mind how would the child receive it and thinking about every possibility of what could possibly be a breakdown for them, not just in terms of material or comprehending the content that you teach, but also how they would respond to a certain aspect of your curriculum that involves how would they socially, emotionally respond to that aspect? How can you give them more in terms of cutting down language or cutting down the instructions? You know, mm-hmm. and if those things are given ample amount of consideration while you design the lesson, I think the engagement bit with the child, the actual teaching part becomes much easier, you know, and then you can think about how you can engage the other concentric circles, the paraprofessional, you know, the parents or the other support systems that you have. And then I think it becomes easy to assess the child's work also, not comparing it to your standard rubrics or other exemplars that you have, you know, where you, you might tell the child not ask the child to copy your work, but rather help them or give them a more exploratory way of creating their own unique work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that visual. For, for us artists, us visual people, having that idea of the concentric circles is really helpful to kind of visualize how you're thinking about it. And then also, you know, talking about thinking of each individual student as at the center. So you don't have just like, a child like 
anonymous child that represents all students. You have, you know, however many, like for me, it would be maybe 30 of those circles per class. So you're really considering for every individual, what are their needs? Where are they going to have those sort of, how you put it, breakpoints or breakdowns and how you can adjust to meet the needs of all of those students. And I like the idea too of maybe one student needs more exploration, more exploratory, more sort of open-ended, lots of choice. And maybe another student needs more structure, more sort of here's the exemplar and, and this is sort of more helpful for that student. Absolutely. You put it correctly. I, I love that. I feel like that's just good teaching, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I say that, but it's also very challenging, definitely. I mean, I guess it depends also how many students you have, how difficult that can be. For me, I was at two schools and total was close to 1,400 students. So, you know, 1,400 circles might not be feasible. So then, you know, how do you kind of like narrow that? And maybe it's not an individual child in the center there. Maybe it's sort of like grouping similar kids somehow, which I feel like is... Grouping Maybe not kids. ideal, but like it works. <laughs> yeah, similar profiles or creating your own, I would say, own groupings in terms of mm-hmm. a lot of times when you are grouping children, when you have a larger number of kids, I think you also group them according to their strengths. And mm-hmm. sometimes also depending on keeping a mix of children with needs and children who have strengths who actually, you know, kind of leverage with each other, you know, mm-hmm. children who and they, you group them accordingly. But I think it does change, the scenario changes when you have larger numbers. So one thing that I have realized when I'm teaching like a group of 20 kids and 25 kids in a class is to delegate, you know, ask for support because a lot of times it's it's such art education and the art educators, often I've heard this term of uh, my fellow educators, at least you're saying that we are marginalized in a way, Uh, Mm -hmm. not in the truest terms of it, but mostly in a school, you know, because it's a special subject and you are a specialist teaching there that mm-hmm. no other teacher a lot of times even find while you're finding your substitutes you know it's no other teacher can come and teach your class because you, you're the specialist right so a lot mm-hmm. of times expanding the scope of you know your responsibilities in terms of training other teachers not to become art educators but maybe support teachers in your class or bringing in other teachers to come and see how the curriculum works like and leveraging that support over there leveraging the other paraprofessionals is really helped so it's not just that they're not passively supporting you, but you know, you are making an effort to take them through your lesson plans. You are making an effort to tell them what the goal of the class is so they can proactively support and putting a structure for them of where they exactly need to step in to support. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really helpful. And I love the idea also of that sort of delegation, including students potentially that when you notice a student is really good at something, they can become like a mini teacher for that thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing that I think as art educators, we need to develop that skill as, as a teaching skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's, that sort of thing helps all of the students so much, you know, the one who's, who's becoming a teacher a little bit, just empowers them and helps them to really grasp the subject even more. And then the students who are learning from their peer, I always have noticed that they seem more engaged and more excited when it's not just me talking all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would love to get more into your artwork and hear about your work to start 
almost like a bridge between the two topics. If you could maybe share how or whether teaching influences your artwork. Oh, yeah, it does in a big way. I think it's been personally for me, my own practice has been so influential in my decisions in teaching and vice versa, because mm -hmm. uh, I think my teaching practice in a way brings in all the research or the information that I visually or, you know, through digitally collect and I bring it back to my lesson planning. It could be something as simple as coming across a new artist and digging into their work, digging into what inspires them to make art in the first place, you know, to what mm -hmm. is the technique they are, they are using to make their work, where and how are they displaying or showcasing their work. And all that has a very big influence of what kind of artist or what kind of practices I'm introducing my children or my students to in the classroom. That's one way of looking at it. My personal practice is centered around mostly mixed media and mm -hmm. kind of mask making and performance. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my work revolves around my own culture and the issues in my own culture. So currently I am doing an entire series of uh, around mental health because it's such an important topic around which conversations need to happen. And the visual arts or my artwork could be a great catalyst in getting those conversations started. I'm doing this mostly specifically in terms of the context of men and mental health mm. in India, uh, for which I am talking to a, a, a friend who is a mental health professional and we're doing some research together amount of the statistics and practices with therapy. And I'm trying to put them, collect data, which, which will go into visuals that I'm trying to create for my work. So mm. my, my personal practice comes more from, I, I like to keep it more research oriented with a lot of influences that I see in my immediate surroundings. So even the references that I collect are actually photographed in my own city, Mumbai, where I go mm -hmm. around and I photograph actual people, you know, real people uh, on the streets, the working class, or I would say people who are traveling or people who are just engaged in some or the other way that is connected to the essence of the city. So that's my personal practice. And with my teaching, a lot of times I have noticed that as an art educator, uh, the more I I'm curious about the world in terms of the visuals or the kind of artists that I'm looking for, the kind of shows that I watch in the city. Or for that matter, now there is the privilege of digitally watching a show, you know, during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel very excited to take it all back to my classroom. So I remember I was talking to my uh, one of my grade 10 kids, I think a couple of months ago, and she is doing her coursework for uh, IGCSE exams. And uh, she was thinking about brainstorming with me about a theme and Suddenly, I, I could tell her six different artists that, you know, fit that theme and she should look for. And I did realize in retrospect today that, you know, if it's my way approach to looking at things and, you know, writing down, making notes, you know, about the artists that I see, you know, social media is a great place now to follow people's work at the same time reading, you know, I, I bookmark or, you know, I archive, I create like an archive for your own self with the websites or they are past shows and portfolios and that serves as a great tool for me to bring it into classroom you know and then mm -hmm. make those very smart choices about whether I'm designing a unit whether that artist fits there culturally does it fit there or you know how what are the other aspects that need consideration while bringing in that artist into classroom mm -hmm. yeah I love that just hearing how all of the research and all of the thinking and even just the like the looking that you're doing as an artist, all of that really does come into your teaching. Exactly. I think it's uh, what I've learned uh, at least in the last uh, six years, I would say, is while teaching, 
And, and this is not something new and a lot of art educators do agree to this. When we are teaching as art educators, we are not restricted to just teaching or writing our curriculums or assessing their work. It's also we are indirectly working as our own critics and our own curators mm -hmm. of the students' work. You know, we have this, we built like a own way of looking at the world, you know, as artists, mm -hmm. as teachers. It's, and it, it, it is happening at such a subtle level within yourself if you keep your eyes and ears open that's the term i always use with my kids and it's something that they they, they say it aloud now you know when when i'm about to <laughs> finish my sentence so i always tell them keep your eyes and your ears open and you know you're taking in so much information around you ah, so i think beautiful. that that got me that gets me very excited in fact i'll give you an example when i was mm -hmm. figuring out what to teach during the pandemic at the start of the pandemic and having no resources and i'll be honest the amount of pressure that i put on myself back then before reaching this whole zen mode and you know having a revelation that i do not need to stress myself so much and need to go easy mm -hmm. my children made artwork using the objects in their immediate surroundings that included the you know dishes from their kitchen to forks mm -hmm. spoons toys you know and they created visuals they created masks they created you know portraits using that we did an entire unit on this israeli artist hanak pivin which the children absolutely enjoyed and just not because they enjoyed but it was really we could meet our objectives given mm. the amount of uh, tactile feedback that it gave them the visual feedback that the objects and the colors it gave them it gave them a new way of looking at the object in their immediate surroundings so for me that was a contemporary approach to teaching that's contemporary art you know you are problem solving mm -hmm. You are critically thinking about a situation and you are coming up with something new. So that changed my whole perspective about education. So that's something that also from my teaching, I took back into my personal practice. And I've been, uh, you know, dabbing into a little bit about working with objects now. Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's amazing how the two can really feed each other, art making and, and art teaching. And I, I love the project you talked about where you're, or the series, you're kind of working on the research you're working on focused around men and mental health in India. I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit more about that, if you'd want to share like what you're finding, but also how you're thinking about sort of translating into it into your artwork. Absolutely. So the last decade has been very instrumental in terms of the paramount shift that at least an urban city like Bombay has seen in terms of access to mental health it's mm -hmm. there is still a long journey ahead for people working in the mental health you know counselors or therapists working there but a lot of, and, and I feel like popular culture has been very instrumental that's that's one part of my research you know mm -hmm. cinema or films that are currently you know not just western cinema or European cinema but you know Indian cinema films and regional cinema that is uh, openly and in a very constructive and healthy way ex letting men express their emotions you know on mm -hmm. screen without masquerading the whole you know the alpha male and you know without showing like men as the typical characters of being like the fighters and being like mm -hmm. you know strong and without showing any emotion on the screen so that's a part of my research and the other part is you know statistical data about how many men actually end up going for therapy and mm -hmm. what are their journeys in the in therapy in terms of dealing with their mental health issues or emotional issues and uh, combining both of those my whole series talks about uh, i have titled it men and mental health but each piece like i can tell you about this one piece that i recently completed and it's up on my social media handle it's about the burden that we need to put down you know men need to put down it's a very simple picture of i collected this picture on one of my art walks in the city and this i saw this man who who actually pulls the cart you know who mm -hmm. pulls the industrial cart and in one of the 
fisherman colonies. He was pulling this cart in early morning and I took this photograph of him and his eyes spoke to me just like it was so strong. The image was so mm-hmm. strong. So I actually just used that as an that image and I trans- combined it with my you know, whole concept of pulling the whole generational load of you know mental health because a lot of times mental health issues are also generational which are passed right right and they, mm-hmm. they stay with your body they stay with your system so the whole artwork is about the man you know sitting or pulling a, a, a cart of fish and the fish mm-hmm. actually symbolizes the, the mental health issues or the, the issues that he's suffering from you know and how those mm-hmm. are just dumbed down they are just pressed down you know without having the opportunity or the man having the opportunity or the excess or the resources to deal with it so mm-hmm. my idea is to use these images or these visuals as triggers for people to have start having conversations and especially start having difficult conversations around it you know yeah absolutely i love that art as sort of the catalyst for those conversations and i also love hearing that you know the fish are coming back that that first experience when you were a kid as drawing this human that sort of became a fish you know there's something about fish in your maybe it's in your subconscious or something (laughs) I I, well so fish is my staple food first of all because Mm. my family comes from a coastal town in India from the state where I belong to and I live in a coastal city so they say that the fishermen community are the original inhabitants of Mumbai Mm. and everyone else is in some way migrated or immigrated to the city so it's somewhere or the other in my subconscious, it's set in that these are the people I have grown up seeing around me, you know, for the fisherman community and the person who actually comes to sell fish door to door in Bombay, you know. So that just stayed with me. And I, now that you have pointed it out, I think I did not even think about it. So it's like oh, coming back okay. in a full circle for my uh, as an artist life in my life, you know, as an artist. <laughs> yeah, incredible. <laughs> well, I would like to kind of wrap up with a few I mean, I feel like we've gotten to know you a bit, but these are just kind of fun, like get to know you questions. So one is what are you curious about right now? I'm very curious about two things actually right now. Mm -hmm. One is definitely how education is going to look like, you know, in the coming 10 years, Mm -hmm. even that I enjoy teaching and I want to be into teaching. So how that's going to look like from here, because I know this is the new normal that we're going to stay with, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not a short term thing where we are teaching with these three models face-to-face hybrid and online so this is going to be a mix I think that's the next but I'm very curious how this is going to pan out in the long term and how the students Mm -hmm. are going to how it's going to change our policies how it's going to change our research how it's going to change our critical lens at looking at our curriculums I'm very curious Mm -hmm. about that and I will stay curious forever I feel Mm -hmm. about on that aspect the second curiosity that it's very personal. I think I'm very curious if if people, if the, the artwork that I'm making right now, if I ever get a chance to exhibit it, you know, what kind of conversations or what kind of feedback will it create? You know, whether mm-hmm. will it meet that objective that I'm trying to work on, you know, and how will people respond to it? I'm very curious about those two things. Yeah, I think that's a great, I mean, both are very interesting and like important things to be thinking about but I love that idea of really thinking like this is this is what I want for my work and will it happen like what will the conversations be that come out of it that'll be so interesting to see and I'm going to say when you exhibit not if (laughs) (laughs) thank you yes And then just kind of fun, silly one. I know you mentioned fish is sort of a staple food, but I wonder what is your favorite food? Maybe it's also fish, but. (laughs) 
Oh, actually, I am a big time foodie, so I eat anything and everything. If you if you see my personal Instagram account, it's full of food that I eat and my food mm. journeys during the week. So I I don't have a one because I would be biased into some other cuisines or some food that I like. But uh, my favorite food, there is no dish, but I do love the food that my mom cooks. So whenever I go to my mm. folks, I think I absolutely crave for the food that my mom makes. So even if the most simplest dish that she can make, I I love the food that my mom cooks. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm sure she <laughs> loves to hear that too. <laughs> and that leads me to, is there anybody that you'd want to give sort of a shout out or a thank you? Uh, I think I, I definitely, the first thing that comes to my mind is a school, the Gateway School of Mumbai, because if mm-hmm. uh, if the school didn't happen, I think I wouldn't have the opportunity to do the amazing things that I get to do, you know, and mm. uh, the community that I get to reach out because of the school, you know, maybe other educators or like right now I'm talking to you, that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't at the school. So mm-hmm. everyone at the Gateway School of Mumbai, the community, and uh, of course, I want to give a shout out to Victoria and you for doing the amazing things that you guys are doing, you know, with, with the teaching podcast or with the other initiatives that you run. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And then where can listeners connect with you online? I have a website uh, which goes by abhishekpanchalstudio.com and Mm -hmm. uh, my Instagram handle goes with the same name, abhishekpanchalstudio. Awesome. And I will link to those so everyone can go check out all of the amazing work that Abhishek is doing. Thank you so much for talking with me and sharing all of your work and your journey and some really wonderful advice and just experiences I feel like we can all relate to on on various levels so yes thank you the pleasure is mine Rebecca thank you so much for having me on the podcast absolutely thank you so much for listening as always you can reach me at teaching artist podcast on instagram or teaching artist podcast at gmail.com Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.